Welcome to the Charleston Time Machine. I'm Nick Butler, historian at the Charleston County Public Library, and today we're going to travel back in low country music history to talk about South Carolina's first state anthem, or at least the state's first unofficial anthem. I'm talking about a piece of music called the South Carolina Hymn, which was written in the summer of 1807 and first performed in Charleston on August 22nd of that year. Following its debut in 1807, the South Carolina Hymn became somewhat of a popular hit song in the Low Country, and it was performed at patriotic events in our community for several decades. The hymn was never published, however, and it appears to have been forgotten by the time of the Civil War. Several years ago, I discovered two manuscript versions of the South Carolina Hymn in two local archives. And since then, I've been trying to raise awareness of our state's first unofficial anthem. It's a decent little tune, and the story of its creation is an interesting story as well. So, set your time-traveling brain cells for the summer of 1807, and let's explore the origins of the South Carolina Hymn. In case you're interested, I published a shorter, illustrated version of this material in the spring 2009 issue of Carolog, the quarterly newsletter of the South Carolina Historical Society. During the summer of 1807, residents of the South Carolina Lowcountry received news that shocked them from a state of peaceful repose into a flurry of military preparations. A British warship, the HMS Leopard, had been searching for deserters in coastal waters near Norfolk, Virginia, where it attacked and boarded an American frigate, the USS Chesapeake, on the 22nd of June. It was not the first time that a British warship had stopped an American vessel while searching for deserting sailors. In fact, during Britain's long war with the French Republic in the 1790s, and then war with Napoleon Bonaparte in the early 1800s, the British Navy was a constant pest to American shipping in the Atlantic Ocean. The British practice of illegally interrupting American commercial shipping in search of deserters created a heavy strain on diplomatic relations between the two nations, and tensions were already near the breaking point in 1807. That breaking point arrived on the 22nd of June when the HMS Leopard hailed the USS Chesapeake off the coast of Virginia. The Chesapeake respectfully sailed alongside the larger Leopard and received on board a British officer who said they were searching for deserters. The American captain said there were no British sailors on board the Chesapeake, and the British officer withdrew. Moments later, the 50-gun Leopard fired a broadside into the unprepared American frigate and then demanded her to surrender. Crippled by the unexpected attack, the USS Chesapeake was forced to submit, and the HMS Leopard sailed away after kidnapping four sailors. In the days and weeks following the Chesapeake Leopard affair, as it has become known, the news of unprovoked British aggression quickly spread throughout the Atlantic seaboard. Joseph Manigo, here in Charleston, for example, wrote to his brother Gabriel in Philadelphia that the report of this British aggression had traveled through the streets of Charleston, quote, like an electric shock, end quote, inspiring fear that South Carolina's shipping trade might soon be attacked as well. During the months of July and August 1807, the Charleston newspapers were filled with news and hawkish editorials predicting imminent war with Britain. 
the city's martial spirit led to the rapid formation of a number of new volunteer militia units, including the famous Washington Light Infantry that still exists today. In hindsight, however, we know that the Chesapeake Leopard Affair of 1807 did not immediately lead to war with Britain. Several years of trade embargoes and diplomatic negotiations ensued, and the U.S. Congress did not formally declare war on our former mother country until June of 1812. Nevertheless, the outbursts of patriotic activity during the summer of 1807 alarmed the young nation into a defensive posture. On a more artistic note, the surge of martial spirit was accompanied by the strains of a new tune, South Carolina's first unofficial state anthem, the South Carolina Hymn. On August 17, 1807, the Charleston City Gazette carried an announcement for the benefit concert of an actor-singer named Matthew Sully, scheduled for the following evening at Vauxhall Garden which was Charleston's once-popular summer pleasure garden, now occupied by the Cathedral of St. John the Baptist, between Broad and Queen Streets. Besides the usual fare of vocal and instrumental selections, the newspaper noted that Matthew Sully's performance would include, quote, a new patriotic chant written by a citizen of Charleston called the South Carolina Hymn, end quote. Inclement weather postponed the concert to August 22nd, however, on which date the City Gazette repeated that Mr. Sully's concert would include, quote, the new patriotic chaunt called the South Carolina Hymn, end quote. Less than a week later, Francis Lecat, a French musician living in Charleston since 1793, announced an upcoming concert at Vauxhall Garden to be given as a joint benefit for himself and for the children of the Charleston Orphan House. That concert, as described in the City Gazette of August 27th, included a grand display of fireworks and was concluded, quote, by particular desire with the South Carolina hymn, the words and music by a native of this city, end quote. Note that in the aforementioned 1807 advertisements, the tune in question was called both a hymn and a patriotic chant, or song, while I've referred to it as an anthem. Most people in South Carolina today probably associate the word hymn exclusively with religious music, but two centuries ago the word had a more generic meaning. Similarly, the word anthem was once also commonly used to describe both simple songs used in religious worship and secular patriotic songs. The two terms are somewhat interchangeable, and today we don't think twice about using the term anthem to describe secular songs written to celebrate the qualities of various states and nations. The words and music of the South Carolina hymn are definitely more secular and martial rather than sacred, so I don't think I'm overstepping any semantic boundaries by referring to this composition as an anthem. But I digress. Back to our main story. Following several public performances in the summer of 1807, the South Carolina hymn was heard on a number of civic occasions in subsequent years. It seems to have become a staple of July 4th celebrations in Charleston for decades, and it was heard on a number of observances of Washington's birthday as well. As late as 1832, the hymn was sung at St. Patrick's Day feasts, and in 1839, it was heard between toasts during the 100th anniversary of Charleston's St. George's Society. 
Despite its enduring popularity, South Carolina's first anthem was never published. It might have been lost forever had it not been found among the archival collections of the South Carolina Historical Society and the Charleston Museum. Since the version at the South Carolina Historical Society is more robust, I'll focus my comments on that source. The words and music of the obscure South Carolina hymn are found at the South Carolina Historical Society in an old manuscript volume of music labeled Instructions for the Kent Bugle, the provenance of which is unknown. This small volume begins with several pages containing a handwritten copy of instructions extracted from Johann Bernhard Logier's book Instruction to the Art of Playing the Kent Bugle, which was first printed in Dublin in 1813. The Royal Kent Bugle, as it was originally called, was patented in Dublin in 1811 by an instrument maker named Joseph Halliday. By adding five finger keys to the traditional military bugle, Halliday created a more versatile instrument that paved the way for later mass-produced brass instruments, which in turn led to the proliferation of military brass bands. In 1811, Halliday named his new Irish instrument the Royal Kent Bugle in honor of the Prince Edward, the Duke of Kent, who also held the title of the Earl of Dublin. Following the initial pages devoted to bugle instructions, the remainder of this manuscript volume at the South Carolina Historical Society consists of music and text copied by an unknown individual or individuals. Included are songs for voice and piano, dance tunes for pairs of flutes or violins, and several more familiar patriotic marches like Hail Columbia, which premiered in 1789. Most of the compositions included in this little book reflect Charleston's long-established adherence to British musical tastes, with works by British composers such as Thomas Arne, Thomas Moore, and Michael Kelly, as well as once-popular continental composers such as Friedrich Schwindel, Jean-Paul Gilles Martini, and Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Much of the music included in this volume was composed in the second half of the 18th century, but there are clues that suggest the book was compiled over a period of several decades in the early 19th century. Marginal notes written in pencil throughout the book indicate that a portion of the pieces were copied from a magazine called The Kaleidoscope, or Literary and Scientific Mirror, which was published weekly in Liverpool between 1818 and 1831. Complicating matters further is the fact that at some point in its early history, the book was disbound and several new pages were added. The expanded text block was then tightly rebound using several crude metal staples. Through continued use, many of the book's pages began to break along the gutter of the overly restrictive binding. In 2003, I had the honor of carefully disassembling the book, repairing each page, and then re-sewing the book to more closely approximate its original construction. Included among the several pages added to the back of the volume is, quote, the South Carolina hymn for the pianoforte, end quote. This short, march-like composition is presented here in the key of C major, in common meter, or 4-4. Four, four. The entire hymn consists of 30 measures written in grand staff notation, that is, treble and bass staves joined by a brace. A nine-measure instrumental introduction is followed by an eight-measure verse with a repeat sign, 
and then an eight-measure chorus, and finally a five-measure instrumental conclusion. The lyrics are written directly below the music, and, like many hymns and anthems, the South Carolina hymn employs a verse-chorus structure. In this surviving copy, however, the text of only one verse is included, and a musical sign indicates that it is to be repeated. Other verses may have been sung in the original context, but no vestige of subsequent verses can be found today. In a few places, the rhythmic pairing of the words to the tune is a bit awkward, but slight adjustments can be made in performance to improve the flow. A rousing, majestic chorus follows the lone verse, and the piece is included by a brief but spirited instrumental conclusion. Let me read you the short text of both the verse and the chorus. Here's the verse. Columbia's sons do greet the sound that calls them to defend her rights. The dauntless heart scorns every wound who in the cause of freedom fights. And now the chorus. Brothers arise, our country calls. The trumpets sound, no heart appalls. Our rights maintaining with our breath. We'll fight for liberty or death. Being a bit of a musician myself, I've transcribed the handwritten tune into a music notation program on my computer to create a new edition of the South Carolina hymn. I copied the notes of both the piano and vocal parts exactly, but I've altered the appearance of the beams and the rest to make the whole score more legible to a modern musician. The original manuscript lacks a tempo marking, so I'm suggesting a tempo of 110 beats per minute. Now, this tempo might seem a bit slow for a purely instrumental rendition of the tune, but that's probably as fast as you can comfortably sing the words. But I'd like you to be the judge. I'm going to attach a copy of the music score and a synthesized audio version of the tune on the Charleston Time Machine blog site, which you're welcome to view, listen to, and even share. But without further ado, here's my synthesized audio edition of the South Carolina Hymn of 1807.
I know this little tune might not sound like much, but it's important to consider that the copy of the South Carolina hymn preserved in manuscript form at the South Carolina Historical Society is likely a simplified arrangement of a more substantial work. The hymn was originally performed more than 200 years ago at outdoor concerts at Vauxhall Garden, where a band, including woodwind and brass instruments, regularly performed popular and patriotic music of the day. It seems likely that the composer originally scored this piece for voice and some combination of martial instruments, perhaps including oboes, clarinets, bassoon, French horns, and even bugles. And later, someone transcribed the extant music for voice and piano as a sort of musical shorthand. We call that a piano-vocal reduction in the music world. I haven't found any record of the South Carolina hymn being published, but the music and lyrics of the hymn also appear in a similar undated manuscript volume of music in the archive of the Charleston Museum. In that source, however, the hymn is greatly simplified. It's presented in the key of F major and lacks both the instrumental introduction and the conclusion found in the more robust version at the South Carolina Historical Society. The identity of the composer of South Carolina's first unofficial state anthem is probably lost forever. According to a description of the tune published in the Charleston City Gazette of August 27, 1807, the words and the music of the South Carolina hymn were written, quote, by a native of this city, end quote. The two men associated with the first performances of the hymn, Matthew Sully and Francis Lecat, were both born outside of South Carolina, so we can probably exclude them from the list of possible authors. The South Carolina hymn was probably composed by one of the many gentleman amateur musicians of Charleston. 200 years ago in our community, being a proficient musician was one of the qualities that marked one's status as a member of the gentry class. Lady and gentleman amateurs might perform music among their family and friends, and perhaps at the exclusive concerts of Charleston St. Cecilia Society, but they never performed for money, and the newspapers never printed their names when they were publicly associated with such endeavors. In short, it seems that the customs of that era purposefully conspired to obscure the identity of the amateur lady or gentleman who composed this rousing tune. Despite the mystery surrounding its authorship, the long-forgotten South Carolina hymn deserves to be remembered as part of the cultural heritage of the Palmetto State. Its toe-tapping, tuneful simplicity recalls the classical stylistic era exemplified by composers such as Mozart, Haydn, and Beethoven, and its stirring words echo the fearless rhetoric of many generations of patriotic South Carolinians. It survives in an imperfect state, meaning that it would require some musicological reconstruction to restore it to a state more closely resembling its original form. But such work isn't beyond the skill of musicians right here in our community. Personally, I'd much rather hear the spirited South Carolina hymn of 1807 at a public event than either one of our state's two official anthems, neither of which appeals to my musical or historical sensibilities in the slightest degree. But my opinion counts for nothing. I'm going to post the music of the South Carolina hymn on the Charleston Time Machine blog and invite you to review the tune and its colorful story. Perhaps you'll even be inclined to share it with your friends and neighbors. 
If you do, I encourage you to raise a glass in honor of the summer of 1807 and charge your guests to remember the Chesapeake. I hope you've enjoyed this journey into the past aboard the Charleston Time Machine. Kevin Carruthers is the executive producer of this program for WYLA at the Charleston County Public Library. I'll be back on the air next week with more adventures in Lowcountry history. But if you'd like to join me in person for a live presentation, check out the library's calendar of events at ccpl.org or visit my blog, charlestontimemachine.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Nick Butler, and I'll see you in the future.